0: Greetings, nerds. This is Nina Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me, as always, is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing tonight, Will?
1: Doing very well, Sarah. It's uh, good to be with you on a Sunday afternoon again. Yeah. Usually, yeah, usually I know we've gotten to this Monday evening routine, but uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's weird recording when I can actually, when the sun is out. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: are you, Empire or something? Exactly, I am. <laughs> the only I am. podcast yeah. in the evening
1: exactly because i'm a vampire and you know we got we have we have a guest who can like get into vampires and how biologically accurate they are today
0: i didn't think that that's why we had him join today i thought it was mainly because you needed somebody to talk about trek like a full trekkie Um,
1: yeah that's that's the real reason but you know i was just trying to soften it for you
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right do you want to do the introduction
1: yeah, I will. I, thank you for for letting me introduce our guest today. It's Dr. Muhammad Noor from Duke University. He is uh, known on the YouTubeverse as Dr. Bio and and is a science consultant to the Star Trek universe. Uh, in his day job, he is the uh, dean of natural sciences at Duke University. Uh, in their in their biology department, he graduated from College of William and Mary and has a PhD from the University of Chicago. He joined the Duke Biology Department in 2005 and published many books, one of which we'll talk today about today. And he's a, a award-winning scientist and just if you haven't been to his YouTube channels or seen him at, at Comic Con or Dragon Con or some of the other events, go to go to YouTube and look up Dr. Noor or biotrecky, it is well worth a watch. And with that, welcome to our show, Dr. Noor. Thank you very much. That's
2: a very generous introduction. I really appreciate that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, to, he wants brownie points right away. <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> all right, well, thank you for us. Um, we do, before we get into all of the Star Trek talk and everything else, we do have um, should probably spend a few minutes talking about the recent recent passing of chadwick boseman black panther among many other pivotal roles over the past few years um it broke out on friday night that he died of colon cancer to everyone's shocking response and and it was just um, damn so so will what are your thoughts
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it was a huge blow to everyone. I mean he's been to think he had been dealing with this for four years and just was a constant professional, cranking out. I I watched Black Panther last night, uh, part of the rewatch on Twitter and uh, party, and you know was all sitting there watching those scenes and just seeing you know. Realizing that you know what he was going through when he was filming that film, all the other MCU films he was in, with Affinity War and um, Endgame, and and then of course the roles he's you know, he's played, Jackie Robinson and Thurgood Marshall. I mean he's just 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 an amazing amazing individual, and uh, it, it's definitely uh, was a huge blow not only to the to the fandom but also just to society to to lose someone special as uh, Chadwick Boseman.
0: Yeah, as special and just someone who came out of nowhere to get all of these roles. And then all of a sudden now he's he's his career is done and he passed away. And you're just like, whoa, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) we expect like we were going to see him for for decades. And but but now we're not. And it's um, definitely a life cut short for sure. All right. So Star Trek. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. there's no good transition and i blame will on this because he always wants to start with like random topic and make me figure this out but <laughs> all right dr dr Nora, let's get into this so you went on a star trek cruise recently
2: i did it was phenomenal actually the timing was really good in that uh I went the very first week of March, so it was a scary time to actually be getting on a cruise ship oh, because it was, it was right as cruises were starting to be shutting shutting down or experiencing problems. So it was a little nerve-wracking. They, I will say on the safety front, they were taking it very, very seriously. Like There was hand sanitizer coming down like rain everywhere, it seemed like. Wow. <laughs> I mean, and people were being, you know, people were told to, you know, distance as well as they can. I mean, obviously, you know, it was a cruise, so people weren't taking it so well, just because this was the very start of the pandemic. But there was a high awareness for it, and as far as I know, nobody from our cruise actually got sick. I, th- I think one person who from the sh- from who was on the cruise actually got COVID, but they didn't get it on the cruise; they got it afterwards because this was a medical professional. Mm. But. But yeah, as an experience of setting aside the whole COVID aspect, it was phenomenal. I really, <laughs> really enjoyed it so much.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, was everyone in cosplay the whole time? I mean, people,
2: people flip back and forth. I mean, sometimes people were in cosplay. Sometimes people were just wearing like a Star Trek t-shirt. And sometimes they were just wearing normal clothes. But it, it, was, it was a mixture throughout. But what was great is the the boat had a whole uh, had a whole lot of Star Trek themed aspects to it so they had like quarks bar and things <laughs> like that on, on the boat oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but even beyond that, just everybody had, we all had this like common love for something and we were in this enclosed area. So basically, if you're in line for anything, you could talk to people and you already knew a conversation topic that's readily available to anybody. So that was great. Everybody was very, very positive and excited and looking forward to things. And, you know, we, we stopped at a couple of great destinations. We went to San Juan, Puerto Rico. We went someplace in the Dominican Republic, we went to the Bahamas. And, you know, we had some great outings there. And sometimes with, you know, the actors and, and other folks associated with Star Trek, sometimes not. But it was just so much fun.
1: <laughs> cool, cool. So did, were you treated like a member of the cast? I mean, given that you are a, a science consultant to the show, that people know who you were or recognize you from from various Comic-Cons or, or your YouTube videos? To That's a great question. So I hadn't actually started the YouTube channel yet, so this was before okay. that.
2: But um the, the timing on the announcement, so I actually – started consulting last year but it didn't go public until literally the day before we flew down to go on the cruise <laughs> that, it was like nick of time that that went public so i mean nobody i don't think anybody knew me from that though clearly people had heard that news Like people had heard the announcement that had come out from uh on twitter and things like that around that uh what i was doing is i was giving talks on the ship and some people had seen me at previous conventions and knew that, but other people knew me because I, I was just on the guest list. Like, If you went to the crew's website and scrolled down past the actors, you then got to me and some of the other folks who were, who were on there, like you know, artists and story writers and, and uh, makeup folks. And also Dr. Erin McDonald, who's, a, who's also a scientist. Actually, she's the main science consultant for the Star Trek universe. She was also giving talks, and I gave one with her as well. But yeah, people definitely knew me. It was a little shocking. Like, I actually did an experiment in the last couple of days as I was walking down the halls. I just say hi to everybody. And I think mm-hmm. something like 75% of the time, the response would be, Hi, doctor. <laughs> it's like, whoa. So they may not remember my name, but they knew exactly who I was. Like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and the, you figure the other 25%, some of them may have known. They may have just said hi back, you know? <laughs> right, right.
1: Just give you a live longer, prosper signs as you're walking down the. <laughs> right. Yeah, we were told to do that rather than uh, shaking hands just because of the, the virus. <laughs> right. <Yeah>.
0: Right. Oh. <laughs> that makes sense it does (laughs) (laughs) like that so so in terms of giving talks and and you've you've been a speaker at comic con what is the preparation like for one of those talks and also just the experience in general Mm. as opposed to being there just as a fan but now you're also a um a speaker at an event like that
2: Sure. So the first time I went to any sort of convention was actually just in two thousand fourteen. This was just going as an attendee. I didn't even I, had, I didn't even have these things on my radar before that. I mean, I knew they existed, but I didn't really know anything about them. But in two thousand fourteen, my daughter asked me if I wanted to go to Dragon Con. That was definitely like starting at the deep end of the pool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> so we we went. We we drove down to Atlanta from North Carolina. It was quite it was quite a drive, and we spent two days. We didn't stay for the whole thing, but we we stayed for like the two full weekend days there. And it was so much fun, like just the the energy, the excitement, the amazing cosplays. And that's where I learned that there were actually science talks at these things. I had no idea at the time that people gave science talks at comic conventions or around science fiction or anything like that. I mean, I did did know that there were talks about uh, science and science fiction just more generally, but I didn't necessarily know that they happened in that sort of outlet. Uh, Mm -hmm. Actually, one of my colleagues who's at Duke University, his name is Professor Eric Spana, he actually has given talks at DragonCon starting, I think that may have been his first year doing it, was that year in 2014. So I actually attended his talk on the science in the video game Mass Effect. He also has a very popular one on science in Harry Potter and things like that. So uh, (laughs) he's fantastic, by the way. But I saw those and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And they have a, at DragonCon, they have tracks. So they have like a puppetry track, they have American sci fi media track, and they have a Trek track. So I went to a lot of Trek track things there. And there were some uh, academic talks, I wouldn't say necessarily science talk, there were some academic talks around it. But I proposed then to the Trek track director after seeing this. So the Trek track director is actor Garrett Wong, who who is an actor in Star Trek Voyagers. You know, he played uh, Harry Kim. Mm -hmm. I proposed to him, I said, well, is this something you would be amenable to me doing? I mean, I could create something about. Depictions of evolution in Star Trek, and talk about things like the the famous episode from Next Generation, the chase, and why that particular depiction doesn't actually work so well. But there are other depictions that could. And he said, "Yeah, we'd love that. We love having more science content." So, 2016, I did that for the first time, and I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> no idea what what so. I mean, I'd seen these things, but I didn't know, you know, somebody coming in new as opposed to somebody right. who had been doing this for a while. But that very first time, I mean, it, they put me in a fairly big room and there must have been about 150 200 people in there yeah. <laughs> coming to see the talk and they were so into it i mean just that level of excitement for hearing just you know evidence for evolution and basic evolutionary principles and, and some applications to it to star trek was, was phenomenal i mean I, I was so jazzed by it so i said that's it i'm in and and they do they do a lot of a lot of the talks at these conventions are just sort of open q a's
0: right
2: uh, th- those are fun too but it's a different sort of piece because there it's just you know it's it's I actually have the problem that my breadth of knowledge across sci-fi is not great. I mean, I know Star Trek very well. I know a couple of other uh, science fiction franchises like Battlestar Galactic, some of those very well, too. But they asked me, like, in, you know, The Expanse, which at, at that point in time, I'd never actually seen it all. When yeah. blah, blah, blah happens, could that happen? Like, I don't know. I did. I have no idea what. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me watch the show first. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: so a hard I, show to get so, into.
2: I've tried. I uh, I, I, What I've tried to do is I've tried to push it more in the direction of presentations and therefore then the the questions are more focused on the things I know as opposed to just this general ask me anything kind of format. So those I find a little bit hard, but I think some people who have a much broader view of sci-fi are better at those than I am.
0: So so then I have to ask, what is the difference between Star Trek science and Harry Potter science? (laughs) One dark and one light?
2: Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, one is definitely more fantasy and one is definitely more science fiction. So, I mean, in Harry Potter, obviously, like they they very much call everything magic. So at that point, once you say the word magic, you've essentially already abandoned science. <laughs> once you say darker, that word.
0: So, dark, dark, Yeah, so I mean,
2: the way my colleague Eric Spana talks about it, he doesn't talk about it as, uh, you know, scientific explanations for the magic. He more talks about things like, uh, let's talk about the inheritance of hair color, or the inheritance of... Uh, of being or having magical abilities in Harry mm. Potter—that's the way he looks at it. So he's not trying to explain what's depicted there, but he's just using it as a conduit. And I think this came out from—and he's told the story many times. I think this came out from once when he was giving a class and he was trying to explain something to some, to the class, and they were kind of not particularly paying attention. But once he then contextualized in the context of Harry Potter, all of a sudden they were way more interested. Like, oh, I see. You know, the yeah. you know, oh Squib—that's a—that's a reversion back to losing the ability, things like that. <laughs>
0: So. Is that similar to the idea behind your book? Long live um live long and evolve what Star Trek can teach us about evolution, genetics and life on other worlds?
2: Yes. So it happened with the the book is basically the same overall coverage that I teach in my introductory genetics and evolution class at Duke University. It's essentially the same breadth of topics covered, admittedly not to the same depth of course. But it's the same breadth of topics and covered just a little bit lighter. And the idea there was to exactly like, like you said, frame it in the context of of different scenes from various episodes, so I can engage the 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 reader the same you know better than if I just tried to present the biological concept straight away. So this came out you know as an outcome from giving these convention talks. And uh, actually, the press approached me and asked me if I wanted to write a public book. And I said, at the time, most of the public talks I was giving was just on evidence for evolution, but there's already a really good book out there called Why Evolution is True. There's no need for me to write a better one, because I mean, they, like, I, I would be hard-pressed to do it. It's really, really good. So she asked me, like, would you give any other public talks? I said, well, there is something.
0: <laughs> it's kind of
2: out there, <laughs> literally out there. Yeah.
0: The last frontier, but... Yeah.
2: Yep. <laughs> so I, I actually, I had a demo version of... The first talk I was giving at DragonCon that I put on YouTube, just because I wanted to get some feedback before I actually did it in a room with with live people, and that actually was extraordinarily helpful. Some people actually pointed out to me, I wouldn't say errors, but other aspects which I didn't cover. I was like, oh, that is good. So that helped me a lot. So I pointed her to that same video, and she said, I like this. I think we could do this. <laughs> so that's where that came from.
0: No, I think that's awesome. I know that if if I had a book that would take Harry Potter and explain science to me, I would, I would definitely have done better in those courses in school. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. just, I think, I think that's why I like film and TV in general is because often I, I look, I watch movies or I watch TV shows. And for whatever reason, in context of those stories, I am yep. able to apply them in everyday life and, yep. and, and learn and, and, um, and I just think it's good. Battlestar Galactica will teach you a lot about politics. My oh, opinion. yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, There's some great yeah. speeches in there on the political front. But you're exactly right. The, the key word that you just used is dead on. It's a story. People love stories. You know, you can sit there and describe the Krebs cycle or whatever random biological principle. Nobody really cares. <laughs> Whereas if you give them a story around it, here's these things to be thinking about in the story that you're already engaged in, they're going to retain it much, much better. They're going to be more interested to learn. And just overall, it's a better experience for both the teachers and the learners.
0: Right, right, exactly will are you still yep. on this call
1: i'm still here it was just i was just i was for someone who is not a big star trek fan i was just letting you go because <laughs> i was letting you go sarah you were you were you were doing doing great but i did have a uh a trek as far as the book though so how how long has the book been out
2: the book came out the, the hardcover version came out in uh september 2018 and then the, okay. the paperback just earlier this year
1: okay are you planning on doing a sequel
2: well, let me, let me tell you what the book entailed first, and that'll answer the question. <laughs> so like I, like I said, the same, the coverage from the book is the same as my introductory genetics and evolution class. So the science part I had mostly down. The one exception being the very first chapter of the book, which was more exobiology. And that's something I didn't really know anything about at all. So I had to basically learn that as I was writing that. But the rest of it you know, covered things I know very well, both from my research and from my teaching. The Star Trek part, again, I had seen it, but I hadn't gone through it trying to pull out all these examples and, and what you don't want to do is you don't want to have a book like this that's aimed at people who potentially really know and really like star trek and miss stuff so what i had to do is i had to start at the you know basically going through all the episodes of all the series so this was original series next generation deep space 9 voyager enterprise and the, even the start of discovery was in there as well i had to go through all those and rewatch watch all this and and try to identify what are pieces that are relevant to the various chapters that are going to be in my book so i had this massive uh, spreadsheet an excel file where all the rows were the different episodes and the columns were the chapters and I would just enter as i was watching each episode some you know something that was relevant to genetics or something that's relevant to species formation or something that's relevant to the evolution of sex all those things in those columns so that took about a year <laughs> Wow. So I didn't watch every single one. but I did for some of them I just go through the script because I could go through a script in about a third of the time that I'd watch the episode.
0: Yeah. But I had
2: to go through them because the problem is they don't always use the right term. So I couldn't just do a word search or something mm-hmm. like that because sometimes something's depicted, but they say this other thing.
1: And did you go through like, every single episode or did you like, pick out, so like in the original series? And of course, I think I've heard you talk about the Horta, for example, from yep. Devil in the Dark. So, did you say, okay, I'm going to do a talk on silica- silicon based life?
2: I did actually every single episode because I was worried right. I was going to miss something. There were definitely ones I knew I was going to see. So for example, like you said, the Horda with you know, Devil in the Dark is the name of the episode. I knew that was going to be in there. I knew which chapter it was going to be in. But I still wanted to go through all of them because there might be other things. And, and there were some things I'd forgotten. You know, Some, some things like the um, the Crystalline Entity from mm. Next Generation, which again right. is another silicon based life form. Or there was another one the the micro brain also from Next Generation was also a silicon based. So I mean there were so many other things and I didn't want to just pick one and then not mention these others and then the reviews of the book come out and say well hey there's these other things and you didn't say anything about those (laughs) so I wanted to be fairly comprehensive both on the science in terms of that as well as on the sci-fi given that took a full year it would I would have to do that again if I was to write a true sequel in the sense of new topics. Now, what I think is more likely would be, say, a second edition, where then, at that point, then, I can just use all the Star Treks that have come out since then incorporate those things. There are a couple of little little tiny things I would probably write a little bit differently now. You know, maybe the science is advanced or I just missed a little thing that I could have mentioned that didn't there's tweaks I would do too. I think I would do that much sooner than I would actually write a, a true new sequel on new science. Cause I'd have to start at the very beginning again and go through all of it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and all of it gets bigger each time. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And picking up on that point and sp- speaking of the science and, you know, one of the things that as a fan I noticed with the show is many times I'll use a transporter as the, as the, the cheat code to help <laughs> solve some issue whether it's a plot point or a plot hole or uh, you know i know you've talked quite a bit about tom paris and the warp 10 so i don't i don't want you to (laughs) to talk about that one again but but i was thinking like for example uh unnatural selection was one that uh popped out for me from season two of next generation with dr Pulaski, and Mm -hmm. she was you know it was sort of they early on in that show they were recycling a lot of plot points from the original series and this is one where she was you know, turned older. And yep. then of course they use the transporter to you know, reconstruct her. And then there's other examples, you know, as well, as far as how the transport is used, you know, splitting people apart and pulling them back together mm-hmm. and creating clones and duplicates and all that kind of stuff. So what is your, how do you, how, do, what are your thoughts on where to get the science right and biology, <laughs> right? Assuming that, assuming that you could do a transporter and, and how does that work on a DNA or, or, or biological level to do some of the things and I'm sure how they bring why they bring you in to try to give a, a science explanation when they're drafting the script to fill in that blank.
2: Uh, let's split those because those are those are long answers to each of those things. <laughs> so first, first on the transporter, actually, I'm, I'm going to. Defer my answer to uh, my colleague, Dr. Erin McDonald. She's the she's the official science consultant for the Star Trek Universe, so she's actually paid you know regularly to help with all the current series, as opposed to my role, which is just contract. But she has said several times that transporters would never work because of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. So basically, being able to put everything back together exactly the same way, she's she's like that would never that would never actually work. Now, if you were to set that aside, I mean, they say they have these Heisenberg compensators, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> if that were to work i mean at that point i mean you could do anything you could just create an army of clones i mean <laughs> it's it's not at all clear why there's any barrier to it's, it's not even clear that you're actually transporting anybody at that point right that you know mm. you, i don't understand why you couldn't just make multiple copies as sometimes happens you remember of course the splitting of the good and the bad kirk is <laughs> right, a right. kind of silly example there but at that point sure you could could you make a younger self sure you could you could just make a ton of selves <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's definitely a cheat code, I guess you'd say, in terms of that, in terms of uh, solving those sorts of problems. And honestly, I don't understand why they don't use it all the time. So they, they say things about that, oh, well, we can't hold people in the buffer for very long. And I'm not really sure what, I mean, aren't they just saved? You know, what's, what's the issue? But maybe there's something about the form of energy that they're being kept in. I'm not sure. That, that, that gets way more into the physics than the biology there. So I, I would punt that one to her. Uh, what, was the, what was the second half? There was something about consulting that you just asked.
1: Yeah. So whatever. So how, how does that work as far yeah. as you are a science consultant to mm-hmm. Star Trek or any other show? Sure. Uh, how, how, whenever they're developing the script and, yep. and, and come across a plot point that yep. they need explanation for to, to make it work or, or not work, yeah. how, how does that whole process go? Sure. There's, so there's a lot of possibilities.
2: Sometimes it's you know so again like I said Dr. Erin McDonald she's actually the main science consultant she's like actually on retainer from them to do this sometimes I literally just get a you know one sentence text from her saying is blah 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 okay <laughs> <laughs> and I can just text her back saying yes because of blah 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 or no because blah 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 but you could make it you know bloody blah, blah instead you know it could be something that quick I mean that's sort of the the, the bare minimum sometimes it's more here is a season wide arc that's going to be happening it involves. You know, and I'm, I, I use I always use the same fictional example because I, I want to make sure I never get in trouble and accidentally relay something that hasn't that hasn't actually aired yet. And actually, nothing I've consulted on has actually come out yet, so they're mm. all still they're all still in process of coming out. Um, but one a fictional example, this is not one I've actually consulted on. It would be what what if there was a plot point where they wanted to make somebody turn invisible while people were watching them? So at that point, you know, I. Maybe I would have a phone conversation with the showrunner to talk about exactly what are the parameters around this. What you know, how fast they have to turn invisible? Are they, is there any consequence you're looking for it? You know, what is it? Does it have to be invisible in the sense of just looking straight at them, or, or can they be seen from different angles? So I'd ask a lot of questions, and then I would do some research on the side, and I, I would sometimes write like a one-page write-up. You know, mm-hmm. here's here here's a couple of ways that this could happen. Here's the advantages to this. Here's disadvantages, and here are things you'd have to make sure to work in. I might have some sample dialogue in there. I'm, in my case, I'm very anal, so I'll, I'll sometimes put literature citations to the scientific papers associated <laughs> with these things. Partly, it's honestly to cover my own self, too, later because I want to make sure I'm being rigorous. But also, if somebody later complains and says, well, that's ridiculous, that would never happen, you can say, well, you know, here's all the different pieces and here are the scientific citations for each one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the most rigorous version. And then there's anything in between. Sometimes it's just A, hey, we need a little bit of... Um, Background dialogue around X thing that's happening. What would what would somebody be saying around X happening? Who's a biologist or who's a physicist? Oh. And you know, I'll just provide a little bit of dialogue around that, and you know, some examples of how that would work and what that would mean. But there's a there's a there's a pretty wide spectrum there. It's it's very, it's very much tailored to what they're looking for. Now the tricky thing is, as will often happen, um, story trumps science. They'll sometimes ask for something like, for example, just making something go invisible and they say you can see it, you know, you can be looking from any direction and they're human and they haven't changed their mass and all, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, that would never happen. <laughs> so the what I would try to do there is I would try to get them as close as possible. Say, okay, I'm gonna take away, you know, let's say there's six hurdles, I'm gonna take away four of them. Two of them are still there, and we'll just do a makeup thing for the for the last two. Because again, you know, again, it's, people aren't watching Star Trek because they think it's National Geographic or they think it's an accurate depiction of what's happening in the world. They're watching because they want good entertainment, and what the what the writers want is they want it to not be crazy. They want it to be something where you know this is at least close to reality, and I, and I applaud them for that. And you see the contrast to this, of course, is you know very often in sort of comic sort of shows. That, that sometimes they just they just don't even care <laughs> They just toss out this <laughs> random word it's like yeah, okay whatever
0: <laughs> you know that you pretty much just told will that santa isn't real right <laughs> just his poor heart his poor it's heart broken. can't take it's, it, it. It's
1: broken. i can't take it anymore i can't uh, i can't
0: <laughs> but, but i do on that note i do want to ask you about your own suspension of disbelief um not only now that you see a little bit more behind the scenes but before you got involved in into the consulting and also um seeing a bit of the movie magic uh, were were you watching star trek or other sci-fi shows and being critical of them or did you always go into those knowing that the story will trump the science
2: I, I always I always figure the story is from the science. Otherwise, I would never be able to watch The Flash, for example.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, one the, that's one of the
2: most out there. Of course, it's also tongue-in-cheek there when they do that sometimes, too. But no, I mean, I'll okay. sometimes laugh about it. We're it like,
0: doesn't even work for me, though. So. <laughs>
2: I'll sometimes laugh about things like, "Oh, come on, really? Like you couldn't have just..." It, it's it, what the only times I find it frustrating is if it's something that would that would have been really easy to fix. Like if they use a term, but they use the wrong term. Like, okay, really? Like this would have been really easy to just make it fine. Now, if it's you know if it's you know moving so fast, you go back in time. Like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of the Arrowverse,
1: I know. You, so, are you what, what other what other? I know you noted that uh, whenever we first started, you know, you were a big Star Trek fan, and then yep. you know, when you were at conventions, people were asking about the Expanse and other other pro, uh, other programs. What other what other things are you into right now as far as uh, current TV? Given uh, uh, that you know, there is there's a whole host of yeah options out there from broadcast to streaming to cable. Oh yeah. So I, uh, I've i
2: been watching, actually, I have been watching now The Expanse. I would put it off. I, I think I'd watched the first couple of episodes before. And the first couple of episodes are a little bit slow moving, and I, I just kind of dropped it and I didn't pick it up again. But multiple people told me, no, no, really, you'd like this episode. Just just power through the first few episodes, and I think you'll get into it. And now I'm in season three, and I'm completely hooked. I think it's fantastic. So I, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, I am watching, of course, the new, the new Star Trek series that are coming out. So I've, I've been really enjoying Star Trek Lower Decks right now. And, you know, earlier this year when Picard was out and then I'm very much looking forward to Discovery coming uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, I do watch The Flash, so I, I think I think I'm actually completely caught up on it, too. And, and I watched Arrow through where it ended in terms of the Arrowverse. I haven't watched Stargirl, even though I saw, I saw your podcast about that, but I, I'm I'm curious to check it out, but I haven't actually seen it yet. I watched Legends of Tomorrow, but it got it got a little too tongue in cheek for me after a point.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, they they yeah. are not afraid of jumping the shark on that that show. That's
2: for yeah, sure. At we, all, not at all. But I I admire the fact that they just laugh about it too, though. Like they're not pretending to be serious. They're just okay, yeah. They're clearly just being silly, and it's fine.
0: <laughs> it's very similar to Supernatural. How there's a few the first five seasons serious, and then as this show continued on. The more goofy episodes and just um, bottleneck episodes kind of about.
2: <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually watched that, but I've heard that too.
1: Yeah. 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 So, speaking of shows and stuff, and so of course, I'm the, the, the admitted Star Trek fan here uh-huh. on the Senior Nerd podcast, but uh, uh, as folks know who've listened to us, Sarah did indulge me. Earlier this year, to to watch Star Trek Picard, and we, uh-huh. we, we did pods on it together. Uh-huh. So, as far as Trekkie the Trekkie, and we have a not a, a on the fence person with us <laughs> right now, what would you, what would be your elevator pitch, especially, especially to our listeners who many of them may also be on the fence about Star Trek or they're hardcore Star Wars? Or uh, what would be your elevator pitch to say? What are they missing about Star Trek that why they should come on board and go through this universe mm-hmm. that's been around mm-hmm. for over fifty years?
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I'd say I'd say th- three things, I think. So first of all, there's a very hopeful vision for the future there, right? That most of humanity has come together. They've put their past prejudices mostly aside, and they're now working towards this sort of common goal or common sets of goals. You know, the big problems in the world, like world hunger, all seem to be solved. And now it's, it's just, it's largely a happy place, even though there's, you know, there's challenges that come up, but the, the challenges are not so much internal, they're more external. So that's that's one. Two, what I really like is that science is valued. And now when I say that, I mean that in two directions here. Both is valued by um, by the, the characters in the show in the sense that, Everybody, their value science. Everybody wants to know what's the scientific exposure, uh, reason for this. Nobody doubts the science. <laughs> they're, they're very positive about science in general. But also, the show writers try to explain things using science as much as possible. Now, of course, you know, I'm biased now since I'm actually contributing a little bit to this. But long before any involvement by me, they were always trying to explain things they saw using science and actually... You can see that the there were science consultants. Andre Bormanis did this for many, many different of the of the older series and did a really, really stellar job trying to get the science right in there. And and that's admirable to see that. But the third thing is honestly it's just great stories in a diversity of formats. If you like episodic uh if you like episodic shows or if you like arc-based shows, you can say, oh, I want Next Generation or I want Discovery. If you want serious or if you want funny, you can say, well, serious, will that be again discovery. Or funny, you can say Lower Decks. If you want heavily focused on social issues, you can say, I'm going to watch Next Generation. If you really want political intrigue, then maybe Deep Space Nine is more of your thing. So I'd say those three things, you know, the positive aspect, the value of science, and great stories with the diversity of formats.
0: Well, that's like a big question for me <laughs> because you know, you know about why I I have like a Star Trek block, and it's mainly yeah. because that was my older brother's thing.
1: Yeah, I, didn't. Uh, <laughs> I yeah,
0: didn't associate him with it. I yeah.
1: do.
0: It's all, all but so I know I know about Star Trek. I've seen things, but I've never been a diehard Trekkie or anything. Yeah. Um, I do have a question: is oh, sure. is there a real battle between star wars fans and star trek fans is that a real
2: no not in the least (laughs) i think i think the vast majority of people like both i mean, people love to tease about it but there's no fight there at all now i will say i've given talks uh this is actually coming back to professor spana from duke i mentioned earlier he and i and then now more recently we've included also stephen grenade and um and dr aaron mcdonald also where We've done these Star Wars versus Star Trek science tag team fight talks, where we <laughs> where we talk about good science in our franchise and then we mock something from the other franchise. Right. But we it's very much in good spirits. Like you know, I love Star Wars. I've I've seen every new Star Wars movie right after it's come out, and I've been really excited about it too. I mean, and the same with all of them. Like so, Eric Spana, who I mentioned, he he's he's more on the Star Wars side, but he's watched all the Star Trek series. He's watched the Star Trek movies. He's he's all over it as well. So it's it's more just for fun. I don't think there's any thing like that now there are some people who really do just like one of the other they say oh star trek is too cerebral or oh star wars is too just fantasy yeah there's a few people like that but i think the vast majority of people really like both
0: right yeah yeah, yeah. i i think i think once you're hooked on the genre itself then yeah. you it, it opens i mean it's an expanse of opportunities because geez, <laughs> that show yeah. i see what you did there <laughs> I tried.
1: I tried. I didn't even grab Sorry. it until you said it. That's awesome. <laughs> so speaking of science, and and while we have you for the last few moments, so sure. with with the genre, and not so not so we don't get into this pitting p- one thing after another, but what are some things in the genre that you see from a scientist standpoint that uh, and you've touched on this some, but I'd like, for you to expand on it a little bit more Sure. things that drive you crazy, things that you're like, yeah, they got this right, and yep. and um, and you know, and, and and how if you were if the, if they called you up and said, hey, how could I fix this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would you you know what would be your great question?
2: Great question. So so something they tend to get right is often the very basic genetics now of course this is I'm, I'm paying most attention here to biology i'll make a couple of quick comments about physics but I'm, uh, that's not really my area but in the biology area they tend to get basic genetics right like when they say something is dominant they usually have the right term. if they say it's recessive they have the right term. in terms of inheritance they tend to have that pretty good in general so those are things that most sci-fi tend to get pretty good um, evolution the idea of common ancestry in the sense that all like living species on Earth are closely related. Star Trek has fully embraced that from the very beginning. A lot of other science fiction has fully embraced it. Now, whether we're related to aliens or not, that's a whole separate question. But honestly, it's an unanswered question. I mean, since we haven't encountered aliens, we don't know the answer to that. So I, I feel like those pieces are okay. Some of the things that I think get done problematically or could be better, as you were saying, oh, man, the word mutation. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I'm not just talking about the X-Men version here, but like when people say, oh, you know, he got this mutation. And all of a sudden, like, you know, two days later, he looks like an octopus or, <laughs> or something like that. Like, what the heck? So you're <laughs> like, saying what? Spider-Man can't happen.
1: <laughs>
0: the, no. The lizard. Well, yeah. <laughs> well,
2: mostly just it's, there's a lot of things that happen there. That in The sense that when you have a mutation, generally speaking, a mutation is not directed. It's going to be like a random change somewhere in your DNA sequence in some random cell. So like that one cell has it. Well, first of all, mutations are way more likely to be bad than good. It's much it's much less likely that a random change in your DNA sequence will suddenly make something better than it was before. It's much more likely to make it worse. Just the analogy I like to use in my classes, it's like throwing a hammer at a car. You know, there's a very low probability you'll actually make it better. <laughs> but a high probability you'll make it worse just because, again, it's been tuned over 4 billion years of evolution. So that's one thing. But then the spread of it, like when it happens in one cell, it's not going to happen in the same mutation. It's not going to happen in all your cells. And cells don't divide very fast. Like if you have really rapid cell division in just a subset of your cells, yeah, that's the thing we call cancer. That's not good. It's not going to turn you into a spider. <laughs> it's just bad. <laughs> so that's, that's problematic. Now, there are workarounds. So rather than having it be a mutation per se, you could have something that involves some sort of genetic engineering. So, for example, let's say it's a virus that, that 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 like a retrovirus, which will actually like you know basically insert its its part of its code into your um, into your cells. It might then spread across multiple cells and could then get to your whole body. So that solves one problem. The other thing is the speed with which these changes happen. Often in sci-fi when somebody gets a mutation, like within days, they're completely different. Cells don't divide that fast. <laughs> like <laughs> so if the cells aren't dividing, you're not going to look any different. You cell you're not going to have new abilities. You're gonna to have to wait until the until all of those cells have have divided and and you know basically been replaced. So I mean, it might take like weeks or months or something like that. Right, depending right. on depending on which part you' buy, some cells divide much faster than others. So that's something which I feel like it could be closer to reality, but again, you know, if, if we want a story like we don't want Spider-Man to have to happen over the course of, like, months, <laughs> we probably want him to be Spider-Man pretty quick. So some problems can be fixed by doing the retrovirus, but some problems probably can't easily be fixed. In terms of the physics, I mean, every every place seems to have sound in space, which is clearly a pro- problematic. You hear the yeah. whoosh of all these shows, of all, the, of all these ships in space. Clearly, that's not going to happen. There's gravity issues. There's inertia issues. Things like that. Like why? How is there? What is artificial gravity? Artificial gravity is actually sometimes talked about pretty well. It's like the way some uh, some shows show it, where it's basically associated with acceleration. So essentially, if a ship spends half its time accelerating and then flips and spends half its time decelerating, you know, then yeah, you actually could potentially get something just like gravity in that sense because basically it's it is inertia that's happening there. But if you have something going at light speed and then suddenly stopping, yeah, everything inside there would be smeared against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, Star Trek at least addresses it. I mean, it doesn't solve it, but it addresses it by saying, well, we have inertial dampeners. Now, apparently inertial dampeners never seem to work when it's like a torpedo hits and everything shakes, because you would think exactly, that would also... It's <laughs> a exactly. they, they, they go offline. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of like, they're they're dodgy inertial dampeners, but somehow they're really good at going from warp to to impulse drive or whatever (laughs) but yeah those are those are some examples of things that i think are done pretty well and or or not so well mutation is definitely one of the worst (laughs) well i guess the other thing too is alien interbreeding oh my gosh (laughs) there's so much alien interbreeding and now there is one way you could make that work the way you could make alien interbreeding work is if aliens the relationship of aliens to us is about the same as say humans and neanderthal like so if the aliens came from earth you know, a hundred thousand years ago, or a couple hundred thousand years ago, and they went to this other place, and maybe they then got pointy ears, or ruffled foreheads, or a little ridges right at the top of their nose. Yeah, that's okay, because we know humans and Neanderthals did interbreed here on Earth in the last hundred thousand years, and you know they probably didn't look exactly the same. So yeah, that aspect would would be good. But if either were completely unrelated. Or if we're related, but like way, way back, say millions or worse, billions of years ago, there's no way we'd make hybrids. I mean, we're literally more closely related to grass <laughs> than we <laughs> are to something which has a common ancestor four billion years ago. Wow. So, so there is a workaround again. And actually, so Star Trek um, in the original series, there was one episode where um, they showed up at this planet, and they beamed down and there are these Native Americans there. And they said, yeah. oh, these uh, the super race called the Preservers had actually taken uh, populations from various plants and plop them down on other worlds. Now, of course, they'd have to plop them down with everything they need to survive. So they'd need to put, you know, bring like plants and fish and everything else so that they're going to consume and they'll provide air for them. But if they did that, sure, that would work.
1: Speaking of ge- of genetic engineering that you, you mentioned earlier, so sure. that's that's another trope that we see a lot of times in the in, in science fiction of genetic engineering to, to engineer better humans, you know, yep. report, but of course, in the Star Trek universe, obviously, it's the augments and con scene. Yep. Um, and then another, you know, and, and we've seen in other uh, sh- movies and shows in the genre as well. So, again, it, it could 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 we engineer a, a con scene to, to be better at, physically better, mentally better, like, like we've seen in, in these shows? Or is that, again, one of those things where story is driving more so than the science?
2: Well, the tricky thing with Khan specifically is—is it's actually a funny story on Khan. If you go back to the original episode he was in, which is uh, called Space Seed in uh, the original series, it said it never actually said he was genetically engineered. It actually said he was a product of selective breeding, Mm. which is interesting because I mean that basically, essentially that what that would mean is you essentially you're you're like you raise a bunch of kids, you know, take the strongest one, have the strongest couple, have them breed, and then raise. It's just like what we do with corn or something like that, right? Right. Is that possible? I mean, I mean it's, it's you know socially repulsive, of course, in many respects, but it I mean there's no scientific barrier to actually executing it. Now the tricky thing would be like the timing of that, con was supposedly around in the nineteen nineties. So given the show aired in the nineteen sixties, you would have had one generation of natural selection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so probably you couldn't have made con that fast. <laughs> now, if it was actually true genetic engineering, again, setting aside, of course, the 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 high immorality of doing such things could you edit in some way to make somebody uh stronger or things like that i think right now it would be challenging one of the biggest barriers is things like Intelligence or physical strength, or things like that. It's not like there's just one gene. It's not like you can just tweak this one gene, change these couple of letters from T's to A's, and all of a sudden, like they're a lot smarter. It tends to be very, very, very complicated. And often, a lot of it's not even genetic. A lot of it is, you know, how the, how the person was raised, the cultural that they were raised in, things like that, that that affect how they score on tests, or, you know, how much they worked out in terms of how, how strong they are and what their diet was like, things like that. So it, it would be hard. But could you make some difference? In principle, it would be possible. I don't think we're at the stage where we could do that. But in principle, I could imagine, say, many hundreds of years from now, there would be a couple of tweaks that you could do to make some, you know, somebody a little bit stronger, or a little bit "quote unquote" smarter. The smarter, smarter is always a very touchy question, so, even what that means.
1: Right. So maybe not necessarily Khan, but maybe uh, more like Julie Maybe more Julian Bashir.
2: Yeah, the more likely thing that, that I think
1: it, that could
2: be done would be fixing problems more so than making like something something sort of super. So let's say, for example, somebody had a disease that would result in them having extraordinarily weak, um, you know, being extraordinarily physically weak or, or had some sort of um, mental issue. And there's a specific mutation associated with that. It's poss- I think that would be much more likely if you could go in and repair that mutation so that then they're more in the sort of the, the normal spectrum of how people tend to be who don't have the disease. I think that is much more feasible, and it's also less ethically objectionable, too. Good well, it too. Well, there is a slippery slope there because, I mean, people can start yeah. saying, well, does somebody have a disadvantage because they don't have blonde hair? Does somebody have right. a disadvantage? Yeah. So it is definitely a strong, yeah. slippery slope. Right. So it, right. it would have to be, we'd have to tread very carefully.
1: We would have to tread carefully, and that's, and that's you know, that's that's one of the things Things we've we've talked about how the genre uh, from, whereas Star Trek, Eraverse shows like Watchmen and others are, are really good at, at really addressing some of these ethical ethical totally. issues and, totally. and, uh, and 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 actually that's my last question for you before we before we wrap up is sure. um, as far as ethical issues as as far as a science advisor do you also whenever you and your colleagues uh, get questions from the creative team uh address any of the ethical issues whenever you're providing the technical technical response to their questions
2: that's a great question so i I mean i have to say i haven't done that many of these consults so far Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like that's really especially come up i will say that i feel like at least with the star trek writers They're very 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 attuned to ethical issues like they're very much on top of it uh where like you know i i I can remember instances where i've suggested something well could we do blah 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 and and the response has been no because we don't want a perception that you know and and then like say taking the same idea that i tossed out you know a hundredfold bigger but that might have a negative societal implication like oh that's not what i was suggesting at all but they're very 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 forward-thinking in that context so I don't know that they would actually need me to do that. I think they would already be very much on top of it. They're very, very thoughtful in that arena. great. great. wow,
0: great. wow. i I do have another question. please
2: I have, I have one for you guys too. <laughs>
0: oh awesome. oh awesome. Well, well, I, I just want to ask about the YouTube channel. Oh, sure. Right? And how that started, what you've learned so far and and also just the idea about why suddenly, putting out content on YouTube?
2: That's a great question. So it, it, it was a combination of two things. Number one was just seeing the level of excitement on the cruise was really inspirational, right? That people were so excited to like ask lots of questions about the science. I actually, when we were on the cruise, I started having what I called office hours. So I did this at breakfast. Now think about this on the cruise, people were staying up really late to parties. You can imagine. <laughs> I was having <laughs> office hours at 8.30 in the morning in the, in the buffet restaurant saying, if anyone wants to come and just chat science with me, do you want to do that? I would show up 30 minutes early and there'd be a line waiting. Wow. <laughs> that's the level of enthusiasm <laughs> and excitement for science. There. I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to eat first. I'll <laughs> just dive right in. <laughs> but it, it was wonderful. It was so intellectually stimulating and such really thoughtful questions and just excitement around it. I loved it. So ha- having, uh, done that, I actually, I reached out to, um, some of the some of the CBS folks and I was curious about doing something along these lines where maybe making a couple of educational videos and seeing if maybe I could put them on star or something like that. and they were they were interested but the problem was of course this was now at the start of the pandemic. They said for any content that was going to be there we really want filming to be on site and by their camera department. They didn't want sort of the homemade kind of thing I would have to I would be making. Given the pandemic, I'm obviously not flying to New York or LA or any of these places to do that sort of thing. So mm. I said, all right. Let me just go ahead and do this myself. And given the pandemic, you know, I was staying home anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun. I mean, I just uh, so I did at the very beginning. I made I think four I made four short things, and I just basically released them one per week for the uh, for that time. And they were basically snippets from talks I was giving. But mm-hmm. the response was really positive. Like people were you know the people were you know retweeting it a lot. Like they, they each have several hundred views. So. Having seen that, I said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm happy to keep doing this, but, you know, kind of sporadically, not all the time, because obviously I'm not, I don't get paid for doing this. I get no money from it. It's not monetized in any way, shape or form. So it's just a purely volunteer labor of love, as you like to say. But yeah. I, I really, I really enjoy doing it. Um, <laughs> that
0: sounds familiar. Yeah,
2: I'm sure I'm, <laughs> sure, it I'm yeah. sure it does. I'm sure it does.
0: Yeah. So what were, what was your question for us?
2: Yeah, I was curious what you all thought of the the reboot Star Trek movies.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was <movie>. Huh. Well. <laughs>
1: okay, I'll 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 follow the sword first. <laughs> I'll get my answer So you. So I I I I Star Trek 2009, I think it was when it uh came out. I really enjoyed the, the 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 Kelvin universe.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I thought they. If you're going to, I thought they did a very clever way of splitting the timeline. Yep, and uh, giving us, you know, it, it sort of combined a lot of little rumors and elements and things that we've heard in the fandom on chat rooms and bulletin boards and other things as far as you know, an academy-based show, which they did have that and. Uh, and then we also see how this version of Jim Kirk became captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, uh, I think Star Trek Into Darkness. It, <laughs> I, the, I, I actually I liked it. Yeah. I wish they had not been so coy about saying that Benedict Cumberbatch was was just John Harrison was not con. It was so obvious that it was con. Yeah. Even though they kept insisting that it wasn't, and I, and for the longest time I tried to defend it, but the more and more I thought about it, I just can't anymore. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh,
1: for that one, I just wish they just didn't. I mean, I wish they
2: just yeah. made him at somebody else. Like, why, why? I mean, Wrath of Khan was already epic. Why yeah, try to exactly. redo
1: it? Just do your own movie.
0: Do your own movie. Oh, JJ.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do your own movie. Don't flip. Just don't don't mirror everything that happened in Rathicon yeah, and do it exactly. and, and not do it executed as well and almost become a parody of it. Yeah. Um, Star Trek Beyond, I thought was a, a nice recover from the yeah. from the French the franchise. My only my main quibble with it was the the whole trope about destroying the Enterprise. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's sure. <laughs> just, it's, just, it's just become one of these things that it's just we're gonna have to okay, it's a movie, we gotta destroy the enterprise. You know, <laughs> Search the Spock, whenever the first time it was yeah. done, it was really plot driven. It was really you know, it was yeah built into the larger theme of yeah. the series, but from generations to you know, the crash in the to yeah. you know to, to what we saw and beyond Come on y'all, get original. <laughs> Don't even have a 1701A just for the sake of having one. Yeah. Right.
2: That's, that's, that's my rant for starting. I'm Kicks. with you on all those things too. I mean, I I loved the first reboot movie. I thought it was excellent. And it, it was a, it was a creative new story. It was an interesting twist. It had a slight tie in there with having, you know, Leonard Nimoy in there too. I I, I thought that was stellar. Number two, like, like I said, I thought it just I just wish they'd just done their own thing. <laughs> I was like, don't don't make this con. And how, really, Does this person look like a con Union thing, like this little English guy? <laughs> and the third, yeah, I, I enjoyed the third quite a bit,
0: yeah. i I think that I've seen all of the movies. I don't remember them, really. and and you guys both have already touched on Con and the failings there. But for me, I remember seeing con when i was really little Mm -hmm. being totally scared of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that movie Mm -hmm. scared me then again the wizard of oz scared me too the witch (laughs) yeah (laughs) for a young kid so so going in that movie i thought oh they're gonna redo it and it's gonna be stellar and it just fell flat and i think overall the entire trilogy i would argue did not do a good job at telling a one solid story to really bring in everybody into this new universe and it almost went kind of the comic book route where I think especially with the con um sequel where where they just they were retelling stories that that we already have we already know about Mm -hmm. um but new actors and thinking that oh it'll be just as relevant as it was and and it's that We have that happen with the Spider-Man movie um, universe all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that these writers just need to tell new stories. Now, that being said, they are making their mark in the TV mm-hmm. um, yeah. with all of the new series. I know Discovery, um, a lot of people love it. Yeah, And a lot of people love Picard as well mm-hmm. as um, Below Ducks. What is it?
1: Yeah, lower Dex. Dex, just getting started. I'm, I'm I'm 50 50 right talking. now. Yeah, don't, lower decks. I don't really like it a lot. I really yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is the first time I've heard about this show, and Will has apparently been watching it for weeks, and
1: so I'm. Be- <laughs> <laughs> so you, I should tell you something,
0: Sarah. <laughs> I know it says a lot. <laughs> All week- right. Well, thank you so much for having, um, for being a part of our show and coming and talking to us but mainly to Will about Star Trek (laughs) and not ruining anything for him, but basically ruining it and reminding him it's not real, but no, we really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. It's (laughs) really an honor to speak with you guys. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: (laughs) You want to tell our listeners where they can find you?
2: Sure. I'm on Twitter at Moff Noor. It's M like Michael, A like Apple, F like Frank Noor and like November O-O-R. Or if you go to YouTube and just search for Biotrecky Explains, it'll come right up. BioTrecky
1: has two Ks, by the way, and ends with an I-E.
0: And Will, where can they find you?
1: Yes, you can always find me on Twitter at Will and Polk, W-I-L-L-M-P-O-L-K.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at S-J Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please follow our crew on Twitter at Sina Nerd. Find us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, but most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Good night, Geek Out. You're welcome.